This is Comic Shenanigans, episode number 29, Comic Reviews for the week of November the 21st. Welcome to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans, episode number 29, Comic Reviews for the week of November the 21st. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and thanks again for joining us for an episode. So we had a lot of books came out this week. I think there was... Uh, more than 30-something uh, main Marvel and DC titles. Uh, unfortunately, this was kind of a busy week. Uh, in the States, obviously, we are uh, neighbors to the south. Uh, you had your own Thanksgiving, so happy belated Thanksgiving. Uh, it was, so it was a busy week, so unfortunately, uh, we only got to about 20 books this week. So um, there's a lot of books, unfortunately, that did get missed, so... I do apologize, but hopefully I'll pick up the next issue and be able to jump back in and and keep the reviews going. So let's jump right into our first title uh, this week, and that is uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 698. Now this is a very important issue. Uh, Dan Slott's been talking this up for a while now, and he was saying like, you know, if you hear any spoilers, don't don't read them or whatever. If you haven't read this and you plan to, I would suggest that you kind of try and avoid this part of the podcast, maybe fast forward two or three minutes. Um, cause this is a, a big change, a big, something big happens in 698. Let's just say that. Um, I really enjoyed this issue. The artwork was a little bit of a, a little bit of a change. Um, not really sure how I felt about the artwork. Uh, but generally it was pretty good. Uh, Dan Slott obviously wrote this. Our work was by Richard Elson. I don't remember seeing his name anywhere, so I think he's a new artist, or at least new for this title. Um, Color Arts by Antonio Fabella. Um, again, it had a kind of a classic kind of look to the artwork. It was a little too clean at times, which is kind of a weird comment. But generally, it was, it was some fun stuff. Uh, you have Spider-Man, who's basically like a day in the life of Spider-Man, what it's like to be Spider-Man, because he takes on this villain, uh, he kind of almost almost really hurts the guy because he thinks it's a superpower villain and he isn't, uh, he goes back home, he's reflecting on the recent battle of the Goblin, he's like, oh man, MJ, you know, maybe I should try to be more serious, he spends some time at Horizon Labs, it's a great day in the life of Peter Parker, and then he finds out that Doc Ock is uh, asking for Peter Parker, and he's dying. Uh, so Spider-Man goes to kind of be at his bedside because he's been asked for. Uh, he gets everyone to clear the room, and Doc Ock's like Peter Parker, and then uh, Spider-Man takes off his mask. He's like, yes, I'm Peter Parker. He's like, no, I'm Peter Parker. And then you realize that Doc Ock has somehow mind-swapped his body with Peter Parker's body. He now has his memories. He thinks like Peter. He knows Peter's history, but now he's really in Spider-Man's body, so what's going to happen with Doc Ock and Spider-Man now? Um, considering that, like, I had thought, and I know a lot of people have kind of thought this, that that was a possibility for Superior Spider-Man, that uh, Doc Ock would be taking over Spider-Man's brain. Um, I feel like because it's been done here, it's unlikely that that's what will end up happening in Superior Spider-Man, which makes me all the more intrigued and interested to see what happens. Uh, so there's there's this issue came out. We have 699.1 that's coming out soon. As well as the regular 699, um, and then also we have 700 coming up, and then there's also Avenging Spider-Man 15.1. So there's a lot of Spidey material coming up. I really enjoyed this for the most part. It was a nice twist. Um, again, the artwork wasn't perfect, but it was a nice kind of classic kind of style. The issue is very. It's kind of an odd issue because in a lot of ways it's a great jumping on point because you you kind of get everything you need to know, but there's not a lot of continuity except for you get to the end and Doc Ock's dying and wait a minute, there's a body swap and everything changes. 
the issue is definitely one that's really fun to read twice because you read it one way when the first time you read it, and the second time is very different. If unfortunately it's been spoiled for you before you had a chance to read it, unfortunately you'll never have that initial excitement, that initial like what the hell, uh, and that's a little bit of a shame because that's part of the the fun of this issue. I give this an eight out of ten. Next up is Astonishing X-Men number 56. I don't really know why I'm still reading this. That being said, it wasn't bad. I'm not a huge fan of Karma as a character, but I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, Marjorie Liu uh, is you know, doing an okay job on writing. Uh, Perkins doing artwork is actually really solid stuff. Um, it's kind of an odd issue. I, I don't care a lot about Karma, and there's a lot of time spent on this, this standoff with Karma and her sister. Uh, and that part that just didn't work for me as much, so... I, it's kind of a hard issue to review because like a lot of the issues is just kind of spent on the storyline I was just kind of done with and I didn't need to see any more of. But there are some interesting aspects of this issue. I did like the use of Wolverine at the end, um, what happens with Iceman here. I like seeing what was going on in terms of uh, knowing what's going to happen in the future with Northstar and his husband. So there is some interesting stuff, but I don't really know why this title is still going on. It just kind of feels like an anachronism. It doesn't really fit in anywhere. Um, I, there's so many X titles. I'm glad that Adjectiveless X-Men is ending because not that it was necessarily a bad book, but it didn't really have a reason to exist anymore. And I feel that the same way with Astonishing X-Men. Ever since Joss Whedon left the book, the book has just kind of floundered for having an identity. And it's told some interesting stories recently. I do give them credit for that. And the whole North Star getting married wasn't didn't feel like just a stunt. It actually had some interesting... The most interesting ways in which North Star has been characterized almost ever. Um, so I've actually enjoyed it. It just it feels like it kind of doesn't have a place anymore. So I, I'd be okay if it kind of went away, which sounds terrible, but it, it just doesn't seem like it really has a need to exist. Um, speaking about books that I'm glad they're almost over, uh, just because they're excruciating to read. Avengers 34 made me feel that way with this Avengers End Times. Uh, I really like, for the most part, Bendis on, on Avengers has been an important part of, the, of their history. He's written more Avengers titles than anyone else in, in history because he was writing so many different books. He was writing Dark Avengers, New Avengers, uh, Avengers and New, New Avengers at the same time, Mighty Avengers and New Avengers at the same time, Dark Avengers and New Avengers at the same time. So he wrote so many different Avengers books at the same time that it all kind of compounds, and he's been writing in the Avengers sandbox for eight years. So... It stands the reason that he's had a long tenure with the team. However, the way that he goes out is kind of awful. Um, this is not his best stuff. The artwork in this issue is split between uh, Brandon Peterson, Mike Mayhew, and the Dodsons. Um, obviously, Bendis wrote it. Uh, it just felt... First of all, I really didn't like how Quake and Maria Hill were acting. Um, I don't even really understand what... The, what the point is this? Like, I, I don't even know. Isn't Quake supposed to be head of S.H.I.E.L.D. now? But I just feel like a lot of the Marvel Universe has kind of got this weird, like, when Hammer took over, Hammer disrupted S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. was gone. Then, at the end of Secret Warriors, a new S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of put together, but we didn't see a lot of it, and then it just kind of happened that S.H.I.E.L.D. was still around. But Maria Hill was not supposed to be the commander of that. It's supposed to be Daisy Johnson. And then here, I I just found that they... Mayhew made um, the two characters, Maria Hill and Quake, look almost identical, so that didn't help, except for there was a few shots where Maria Hill looked like uh, Kobe Smulders from the Avengers movie, which I appreciated. And then there's like just a few weird shots where like there's this odd, odd page. I think it's the second main page. Um, you have uh, Hill and Quake having a bit of a, a disagreement and a verbal tete-a-tete, 
and off to the left, you have this weird panel of, of Iron Fist kind of looking over at them, almost smirking, but I think it's just that it wasn't illustrated well, and Daredevil looks like he's, like, clapping or making a joke, like, I... This just is not good. It, this was not enjoyable, just reading them. And having Wonder Man suddenly be a good guy again and, like, grabbing some pin particles, doing this, and it just felt very out of place. It, uh, I just, I, I really didn't like it. Brandon Peterson's artwork didn't work near, nearly as well as I was hoping it would. It felt kind of static and odd. I mean, this is kind of, Peterson's more recent style kind of has that static look to it, but that's what we got here. Um, I was just kind of glad that this is over. I, the story wasn't very good. Bringing Wasp back in such a half-assed manner felt like it really made uh, her her sacrifice and her death and secret invasion mean even less. Um, and even just how this issue ends with like everyone kind of dogpiling and having on uh, the villain having a bunch of different artists kind of illustrating it, I didn't really like that. And then having this like welcome back party for Janet, ah, uh, I was just. I wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't a big fan. I do like how it ends, though, because they have that one smarmy-looking panel of Tony Stark and saying like, "What do we do next from here?" And he's just like, "We go bigger," and that kind of sets up Jonathan Hickman's Avengers Nation kind of idea, where you know Avengers has to get become a bigger organization in order to do better things and do more good. Um, I was glad that this was over, though. This just was. This felt like Bendis stumbling to the end. Uh, it didn't feel like it was really planned. It was just kind of some stuff. The oh, I gotta put some some toys back on the shelf. I'll, um, I'll do that. I'll give you a ridiculous centaur man too. I mean, we could fight that. That'd be fun. Uh, I just didn't enjoy it. Six out of ten. Next up is Batwoman number fourteen. Uh, the story wasn't so good. Uh, the artwork is brilliant as always because J H Williams the third is just one of the most brilliant illustrators, the way he makes things look. Uh, the first page, I honestly thought we were looking at Jonah Hex, but we weren't looking at Jonah Hex at all. Um, the story isn't so good in these, in, in this, in this series though. I mean, I like the team up between Batwoman and Wonder Woman. I like seeing these two characters together, but the actual story is not that nuanced. That being said, you have some absolutely gorgeous artwork because he's one of the best illustrators that can do a Batwoman book like just and some of the shadow shots and just the the the, the richness of the pencils and and then this the texture and the uh, of the clothing etc he's just in a class all by his own but I just wish that it was a better read and because it's, it's not it's artistic tour de force but that does not make it a great book that's why I gave it a 7 out of 10 and not higher because artistically it's like a 9 or a 10 like it's brilliant looking but then the story just doesn't do it for me and I found it almost a little bit boring and I do like the character bits when you have Batwoman and Wonder Woman interacting especially seen in the last issue there's a little bit less of that here so that's part of why it wasn't as enjoyable but I did give it a 7 out of 10 uh, next up is Captain America number one, so this is a, a Marvel Now launch. Uh, I, t- I gave it a 7 out of 10 because I kind of appreciated some of the, the gutsy chutzpah, I guess, uh, that Remender has going here, but this is not John Romita Jr.'s best stuff. This is... I, do, I hate the new Captain America costume because most people can't make it look right. The stupid kind of chin strap reminds me of Flash's chin strap. Um, and it just it doesn't look like like a textured outfit. It just kind of looks weird and blocky. And the part of that's because it is John Romita Jr. And you just, and like, I like kind of the, this weird, uh, totally messed up kind of, uh, adventure story that he's trapped in dimension Z. Arnim Zola is involved. Like that's all fun stuff. And I really, I really dig that. So I, I dig the remainder story. I'm just not a big fan of, 
of how it looks and artistically. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see how, how the book goes. I'm giving it a 7.5 out of 10, so it's not like it's a bad book. I just expected a little bit more, and it doesn't help that Ed Brubaker had such a solid run on Captain America. And yes, the last two years I didn't think were nearly as good as the first, what, four or five, but it was still a solid, solid run and, and extremely memorable. And so it's it's hard to kind of jump onto Captain America and not try and replicate that. So I give Rick Remender credit. He does something completely different. He just has fun with the character and goes a little bit more uh, larger than life and Dimension Z and just having zany fun as opposed to the more grounded, grounded realistic approach that Ed Brubaker was so well known for. So I give him credit for trying to be different. I just wish that the art was better and it's not. It's not helping and I hope it gets better. But generally speaking, usually John Romita's artwork only goes downhill as he gets more rushed. Um, he can be a fantastic artist when he has lead time and when he has the time to kind of make his stuff look good. When it feels like he's being rushed or he's trying to hit deadlines, etc., that's when his books his books really start to slip in terms of the art. Uh, next up is Catwoman number 14. Um, actually, to be honest, when I was kind of going through all the books that came out this week, I was like, I don't know if I really want to read Catwoman. Like, I've been really on and off with regards to it, but the fact that it was part of a Death of a Family crossover is kind of what made me want to read it. Uh, Anne Nascenti wrote it with art by uh, Rafa Sandoval. Uh, I actually pretty much dug this. It was actually, it was extremely creepy. This is this is the Joker being as creepy as possible, and he's got this real, you know, not liking Catwoman thing going on because she distracts Batman from his mission and makes him soft. And it's just he's extremely messed up, but extremely fearsome here, just in the way he addresses Catwoman, scares the crap out of her, and I mean. This is only kind of a one uh, a one off because from here um, I'm not sure. Oh no, sorry, I apologize. It looks like they're definitely trying to move Catwoman on onwards and outwards after the storyline, but I'm interested to see what kind of happens next. This is a really good storyline. I really enjoyed it. I'm really loving this new version of the Joker. He is creepy. Thank God. There's so many art writers involved. I'm glad they're able to keep his mania still relatively controlled, and, and make sure that the consist- there's a consistent portrayal. That's the most important part, because uh, Scott Snyder's version of Joker is so chilling, so brilliant, and yet every other writer's been able to capture that, and that's rare. And usually you have a really good character, and then they're in one book, and it's really good, and then other writers try to kind of do their own thing, and, and still have that character be the same character, but, you know, in their own book, and with their own villains or heroes, whatever. And here we're actually getting other people channeling Snyder's version of the Joker so that it doesn't feel like you're reading a somewhat different character. It's a very consistent portrayal, and that's hard to pull off considering how how on point Snyder's been with presenting the Joker ever since his return. The artists have been doing a great job, too, of having this uh, sense of visual consistency. He's creepy looking as hell, and they're all able to pull that off. So I'm really happy with the storylines thus far. I'll give this issue of Catwoman an 8 out of 10. I wasn't originally going to read it. I read it because it was a tie-in, and Asante really pulled her weight, and she made sure that this was an enjoyable Death of the Family tie-in. Do you need to read this? No, you don't. In order to understand Death of the Family, it's not important to read every chapter, but as long as you're reading the main book, obviously, but in Batman, but you know, there's a lot of good stuff here, and I would say if you're enjoying that storyline, read this. For regular Catwoman fans, it does kind of derail the plot a little, but it hopefully will be moving forwards as of next issue. Next up is Daredevil number 20. Uh, absolutely love Daredevil. People who know me would already know that. Not the greatest issue. I gave this an 8 out of 10. It's still pretty solid, though. Um, 
I'm interested to see what what is really going on with uh, the Coyote and and Spot. But I really I love the Spot as a villain visually. I remember him in the Spider-Man cartoon. He was kind of lame, but I still really loved him. Uh, he's been in comics lately. He's been really creepy but cool. Uh, I like I liked just how this is done here with the whole idea of having Daredevil not be part of his body because he's got this device around his neck that's severing, like channeling the spot energy and separating him from his body, but he can still use his body. Uh, just some really weird but fun stuff. I really like this. It was absolutely fantastic. Mark Wade is an absolute godsend when it comes to Daredevil. And Mark Samney, brilliant artwork. Um, sorry, is it Mark Samney? I I know it's Samney. I don't actually know, now I just forget what his actual first name is because I think I'm wrong. Chris Samney. I apologize. Uh, brilliant art by Chris Samney. I love this book also because you've had a lot of different artists on here. I mean, you had um, oh now I can't think of his name. The Madman art, Madman artist. Um, sorry, Madman. Uh, it's not coming to me. He's illustrating FF now. It's not coming, so I'm just, he redesigned the X Force when they became Ecstatics. Mike Alred, or yeah, Alred, uh, he's done artwork on Daredevil. So has um, I'm forgetting every artist in the world. Uh, uh, Paulo Rivera. Uh, uh, I apologize. This is the worst part of the podcast ever. Um, Marcos Martin, and now this art, and then Samney. Uh, although they're very different artists, they've been able to have a remarkable amount of visual consistency. And I know this has been a buzzword for the last like five minutes, but like I love consistency in comics. There's such a great visual tone that even though there's been like four or five different artists, the book never really feels that different from an artistic point of view, and that's extremely important. You've got one writer who's been writing the entire run. You've got artists who have been able to channel each other and have this nice visual consistency. So the tone of the book never changes in terms of the art work so it's even better uh i really enjoyed this this is great and I, as a spot fan like this is still pretty neat i'm interested to see what's really going on here because we see the spot here so you're like oh wait a minute maybe he isn't coyote what the heck's going on so i'm really excited to see what happens next and see what happens next issue i gave this an eight out of ten uh next up is green lantern new guardians number 14 or the kyle rayner on the road show as he goes to go channel different uh different uh colors and, and powers I'm not a big fan. I, I really liked Tony Bedard. This is not his best work. Uh, our work in this issue is by Andre Brisson and Amilcar Pina. Um, not the best artwork this book has ever had, although at times it kind of reminded me of Patrick Gleason, but without the polish. Um, this issue has Star Sapphire, kind of, sorry, Carol Ferris confronting the Queen of the Xamarons. Um, you also have Kyle Rayner trying to learn fear from Marquillo. Um, I'm, I really like Kyle Rayner, but Kyle Rayner hasn't been Kyle Rayner in a long time, and here he's just going and learning learning how to control different powers, and theoretically that, that is more interesting than it actually is, and Arkillo is written terribly. He's supposed to be this brusque monster, but like, he just, the way he talks is just, it doesn't work for me at all, but Ard doesn't seem to get the character well enough. He's, he's supposed to be this fearsome, fearsome character, and yet he's not. He's almost a joke. It's very disappointing. I'm not enjoying it at all. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say not at all, but it could be so much better than this. The artwork, again, could have been much better. I gave it a 7 out of 10, kind of reconsidering it now, but I'll leave it I'll leave it where it is. It, just, it could have been more than this, and it, and it wasn't, and that was disappointing. Uh, next up is Hawkeye number 4. God, I love this book. This is a, for, this is a two-parter. Uh, it's called uh, The Tape, part 1. Um, I'm a really big fan 
of everything that th this book is. Matt Fraction writes the, the character brilliantly. The artwork is is so good. David Aja just... Uh, sorry, I, I apologize. I actually don't think this issue is actually by David Aja. No, this issue is by Avier Pulido. And again, it looks like Aja. It feels like Aja. Part of that's the colorist, obviously. But there's a visual consistency. There's that word again that's extremely important that makes this book feel like a uh, David Mazzuccelli wet dream. Like this, this so reminds me of what it was like, what it's like when you read uh, books like Batman Year One and um, A Journal Born Again. There's just this, there's just simplicity in the artwork and the lines that are just, is just so solid. Uh, this is a great book, great read, great uh, last page, which is a nice kind of um, cliffhanger to be like, oh, what's really going on here? There's a great page here too where Hawkeye is sleeping, he's trussed up in a bed, and then you have like the hand jumping in, and it's such an awesome shot. And that's the last we see of Clint in the entire issue. Uh, this is just gorgeous work. Um, yeah, if you haven't picked this up, like you deserve, you 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 must treat yourself to the trade. Uh, it's coming out, I think, in a couple months. It's called uh, Hawkeye: My Life Is a Weapon. I believe that's what it's called. Uh, Fraction is just. Having a lot of fun, and the artists he's chosen, having David Aja on the first three issues, now Polito in this issue, and potentially the next one. Uh, it is a great-looking book. It's very stylistic. It's very... Uh, what I like about it as well is that, like, I've, I've read Hawkeye solo books before, and sometimes they get a little bit too mired in the Hawkeye superhero aspect. This is a very street-level book, and what I like about it as well is that it's very continuity-free, and not in a bad way. It's just, it, it's a, it's just telling fun stories about... What does Hawkeye do when he's not an Avenger? Like, it's right out there on the introductory page. And Fraction's just having a fun time. He's just telling these fun stories. It feels like New York in the 70s, or at least what I would perceive New York just in the 70s to be like. It's got this very kind of old-school feel. It doesn't feel like a glitzy and modern. And it just It's one of my favorite books in the stands. I absolutely adore it. It is fantastic. Uh, I gave it a 9 out of 10, and it earns it every single time. Uh, next up is Indestructible Hulk. Now, I wasn't a huge fan of the last Hulk series. There was a few really strong issues, especially during the Stay Angry arc, but other than that, it wasn't a huge success for me. Um, this issue is by Mark Wade and Lionel Francis Yu. I've been a big fan of Lionel Francis Yu for the last like, 12 years, ever since I remember seeing his work on Wolverine, I think 125, and also in some Uncanny X-Men around the same era. Uh, so now here we have uh, Hulk becoming an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, one thing that did again, make me frustrated here, is I'm not so sure who's the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is it Maria Hill, or is it still supposed to be Daisy Johnson? Here, it definitely is Maria Hill. I feel like maybe editors could be a little bit more clear. I just want to know what the status of everything is, because I've read some good books that say certain things, and then I get confused. But the artwork here is absolutely gorgeous. This is some of Lionel Francis's best work. He does a great job on the Hulk. I love how Wade is writing uh, Bruce Banner here, and it feels like, in a lot of ways, the same thing he did with Daredevil. He stripped away what was kind of uh, cumbersome and uh, like the, kind of the, the weight of continuity that was shackled around the character's neck without disregarding the continuity, because that was an important thing. For Daredevil, he didn't say none of it ever happened. He just said the character was trying to move on himself. He was trying to move on from the mistakes, move on from the last, like, you know, eight years of extremely heavy, heavy, depressing storytelling in the case of Daredevil. For Bruce Banner, it's like, I'm not trying to cure myself. I'm trying to work with myself. I'm, I want to, if I can't be cured, that's fine, but I want to have a legacy. I want people 
to remember me for good things and not just returning to the Hulk and smashing things. And it's a very um, mature way for Banner to think of things. And again, after so many years, it kind of makes sense that the character would maybe be like, you know what, maybe I can't fix this. But he can. He is brilliant, as we've seen during uh, the Greg Pak and uh, even Jeff Loeb stuff, where he was Banner was a brilliant guy. He may not have been the Hulk anymore, but he was still brilliant and able to do other things. Um, and, and he was just as fearsome as a scientist. So here's him saying, like, I'm going to work with S.H.I.E.L.D. You give me a lab, I'll invent I'll things for you. I can be your tech guy. But also, when you need something, I can jump in there and, and really get things done. And uh, I really like that here. So I'm interested to see where this book goes. The artwork, as I said, is gorgeous. I can't wait to read more. Uh, this is Marvel Now. Some of the books that, that have been launched I haven't been a big fan of. This is... I am. I bought in. I really loved it. It was great. I want to read more of Indestructible Hulk. I wasn't sure how how, so, how I'd feel about the whole Agent of Shield thing. I still don't feel about him hanging out in Avengers Tower fighting over cake with Wolverine. But this this makes sense. This is and again Avengers Assemble that came out last week was like a joke. It was just Banner making jokes and it just didn't feel right. But this is Banner being very realistic and pragmatic. And I think it was just it makes a lot of sense. It was it was fantastic. I really enjoyed this. Um, I gave it a 9 out of 10. It was one of the best books I read this week. Uh, next up is Iron Man number 2. So this is, again, another part of the Marvel Now relaunch. Not a big fan of this, personally. It, I'm, I'm not really sure how I feel about the whole black and gold. Um, the artwork is kind of a weird Michael Golden feel to it instead of a typical Greg Land. It's, it's something with the colorist, I think, because the artwork itself is kind of the same. Um... I'm not really sure who the character on the last page is supposed to be, although it looks like, I guess, Sin, maybe? I don't, I don't even know who it's supposed to be. And that kind of made me frustrated because I want to know who the villain is supposed to be. Um, yeah, I don't know who it is. It's like a, it's a Russian redhead, but that, that, that could be anybody. There's a bunch, if she's even Russian. Uh, the issue, again, it didn't feel like anything really anything new, but I like that it was Tony kind of going up against these these extremist enhanced uh, pilots in armor and just seeing how he takes them on and having someone for, uh, a retroactively someone added to his past who's kind of got a, got a grudge against him and wants to best Tony Stark. It wasn't bad. I actually enjoyed it. Um, better than the last issue in many ways. Um, again, does it feel like something really new? Does it feel like he's really going where, like, Gillen knows where he's going with the character? No, it doesn't. And he kind of, kind of admits that. He doesn't have the same kind of plan that he does that he had for a journey into mystery. I'm interested to see where they go with it. Uh, it's not knocking my socks off. Like when the last uh, Iron Man launch happened, Invincible Iron Man, but Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca. I remember really being taken with that first arc because it introduced uh, what Ezekiel Stain, who I really liked because I was a big fan of the original Ironmonger storylines with Obadiah Stain. Uh, so I really liked that they brought his son back, and it was just really cool, and it was a great concept of you know, this kind of guerrilla machinist and futurist going up against Tony Stark was really cool stuff. Um, this doesn't have that same kind of style and panache. It just kind of feels more of the same, but this was an enjoyable and entertaining issue. It just didn't give you a lot new and exciting. Uh, I give that an 8 out of 10. And again, that was by Greg Land and, uh, uh, wow, I almost said the wrong name, Kieran Gillen. The next issue is Justice League number 14. It's by uh, Jeff Daniels, sorry, Jeff Daniels. What's wrong with me? Jeff Johns with art by Tony S. Daniel, and the backup is by Gary Frank. Uh, this isn't Tony Daniel's best artwork. I'm actually surprised. Like it, it just doesn't quite feel right. It's kind of an odd issue. I enjoyed it all, all right. 
Um, just be, there were some a lot of interesting little pieces, but the overall story was kind of generic. It was them trying to help Superman, you know, recover from being infected by the cheetah. Um, the Justice League going after Cheetah and trying to stop her, and the idea being that like is something wrong? Is Barbara Minerva the problem, or is it Cheetah? Uh, and the idea here is that Barbara Minerva corrupted the Cheetah and not vice versa. And, and, and uh, Diana takes that really hard. And this gets into part of the issue I really like because I thought it was just going to be like an issue, a page or two of Superman trying to come and comfort comfort uh, Wonder Woman. And there's an excellent panel which I can't go over because I just think it says so much about this version of Superman. Is that you have Wonder Woman walking away, kind of distressed, and be like, you know, she's never my, my best friend was never my friend at all. And trailing behind her is Superman. He's following her. He's coming after her to talk to her, and she's talking to him, and she's sad. He's not walking. He's floating quite far off the ground, like at least up to her, I don't know, her like thigh. Uh, he's 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 not on her ground. And then he, I guess, he comes back to the ground. But it's just an interesting perception because usually in most books, uh, Superman walks. He walks around. He doesn't float above other people. That's like a Black Adam thing. He hovers. He doesn't sit on stand on the ground unless someone kind of calls about him and be like, "Can you stand on the ground?" Because that's upsetting. So it's just interesting that this is such a different version of Superman. Like even when that he brings Diana to Smallville, then they go to a restaurant. He doesn't change into Clark. He doesn't have her change in, like to Diana or just not be Wonder Woman. They go as Superman and Wonder Woman. It was kind of an odd decision, and it just. But it also, I think, underscored that this is a very different version of Superman. This is Superman who really is Superman. He's not. There's not as much an emphasis on Clark Kent in the New Fifty Two in the same way. Obviously, we're seeing that to different degrees in the Superman and action comics books. But in this book, this is very much this is the icon. This is the big character. So he's not. Although he is Clark, he's also very much he is Superman. So it's just an interesting perspective. Uh, you have them kiss again. It's actually a wonderful panel, and I think it's interesting that she's always got that sword strapped to her, but I kind of like them together, although, again, part of what makes that work is that this is a different New 52, and you're allowed to do things like this if you want to. The last page is creepy, though, because you got Batman spying on them, and I'm not entirely sure why, but he's Batman. He likes to be creepy and spy on people. Uh, you have another Shazam backup. You got Black Adam doing stuff. Uh, I... Not a big fan of backups just because it feels like it's been going on forever. I'd rather just have it collected in one one or two issues and just have it get over with like that. But Gary Frank does a great job here on the artwork. Uh, so overall, I gave uh, Justice League number 14 a 7 out of 10. Uh, I really like the character bits. There were some interesting choices that were made. But the actual main thrust of the issue against Cheetah, one, is resolved relatively quickly. Two, not that earth-shattering. It felt kind of... Predictable, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. Next up is Minimum Carnage Omega number one. I gave this a six out of ten. This was disappointing. Um, when this when this series, it's not the series. When this storyline first started with Minimum Carnage Alpha, I was actually really excited about it. With every pro, uh, progressive issue that came out, I just found myself caring less and less. I didn't care about the Microverse characters. I didn't care about the conflict that Scarlet Spider and Venom have been drawn into. I felt it didn't fit for the characters at all. And this issue just kind of compacted that, um, sorry, compounded that and made me feel even more about the same way about it. Uh, so by the end of the issue, I was just kind of glad it was over. I do like that you kind of got this weird, you know, Cletus Cassidy isn't really a threat anymore, but the Carnage symbiote still is. I'm just interested to see where the, the books go themselves because 
I am a big fan of Scarlet Spider as a book. Venom, it's kind of been here and there, but I just wanted to get more back to core storytelling. You know how, like, in the Clone Saga era of Spider-Man, they had characters like Judas Traveler, and then there were a lot of people were like, you know, they're not real Spider-Man villains. It's kind of outside the realm of Spider-Man. They didn't fit for the character, and eventually it was revealed that, you know, Judas Traveler was not really, like, a godlike character with these seemingly omnipotent powers, but instead he was just a guy, was like a messed up mutant who had some powers that were relatively low level, but he was so believing in his own hype. Um, I kind of feel the same way about this storyline. We've got all these characters that do not fit into what the Venom and Scott Spider comics have been, and uh, it just kind of felt outside their purview in terms of, as characters. It just didn't work that well with who the characters are. The char- characters are extremely street-level, Venom, yes, he's done a lot more crazy stuff, but, I mean, they're they're much more grounded characters, and having them go to the microverse just didn't really fit, and didn't really feel appropriate. So I gave them, I gave this a 6 out of 10, because it could have been so much better than it was, and it, it just was, it felt like a bit of a letdown. Um, you had, uh, this issue was the artwork by Medina, and it was co-written by Yost and Colin Bunn. Next up is Nightwing number 14. Um... I actually really, I really dug this. I really enjoyed the Nightwing book. I still miss the blue on the costume, but I'm getting used to it and getting over it. Tom DeFalco does a great job on the writing. Uh, I guess Andres Guinaldo on artwork. Again, I don't really know who this is, who that person is, but they do some really, really solid artwork here. It's really kinetic. I really like how Tom DeFalco is writing the story. I really like the the whole him versus Shiva and the idea that there's so much kind of going on in Gotham right now and and Nightwing doesn't really know how much of it is what um if that makes any sense no there's some really good stuff and I can't wait for next issue because it's part of a a death of the family tie-in um yeah this is just a a lot of fun there's a lot going on in terms of moving the plot along with uh, the circus being rebuilt filling up acts, etc. So we're actually seeing some movement on the Dick Grayson front, and at the same time, you got some really cool uh, Shiva ver- Lady Shiva versus um, uh, Nightwing material as well. So this is actually a really enjoyable read all the way through. I would definitely recommend this. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Um, then next up is Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 14. I was not a big fan of this book when it started. It's actually had some pretty good recent issues, so it's... It's got a weird kind of style, but it definitely is its own book, if that makes any sense. Like, this isn't trying to be anything more than these three weird, messed-up characters kind of having adventures. Uh, Scott LaBelle wrote it with Pascal Alix on artwork. Uh, This issue has Superman show up, and I really didn't care for this version of Superman. He seems more like a douche, and they kind of even mentioned that. But, like, again, I'm used to Superman being a different type of character, being very... um, inspirational to other heroes, etc. And here it just seemed more antagonistic and oddly cool, and I just I didn't care a lot for it. Uh, it wasn't a horrible issue, but it just didn't really make all, me all that excited. I am interested to see what happens with the uh, the next issue with, as it becomes part of the Death of the Family tie-in. I'm sad that this somewhat love interest of uh, Jason Todd's may definitely appears to be dead. I am interested to see what Jason Todd does to the Joker and what their interactions are going to be like. So, obviously, because obviously they have a huge axe to grind between them because Joker killed Jason Todd and Jason Todd didn't stay dead. Um, obviously, here, he definitely knows who he is. Like, in the other, they've definitely kind of played up the fact that he knows who Bruce Wayne is and that he knows who he is, but it hasn't necessarily been all that confirmed yet. I mean, it's pretty confirmed, but 
it's still a little up in the air. But here, he definitely knows who Jason Todd is, and he finds Jason Todd just comes into town, and he's immediately all over him. Like uh, the other ones, it feels like more like he would have had a long-term plan, and now he's jumping into action. This more felt like, man, he was really prepared for randomly seeing Jason Todd and throwing a plan into action, rigging a TV with a message, and just being an absolutely n- giant nut job. But I did enjoy it. Superman stuff, not so much. So the last few issue- pages really redeemed the issue for me, but overall I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Brings us to Ultimate Spider-Man number... Let's see, oh, sorry, Ultimate Comic Spider-Man number 17. I really dug this. Uh, again... I'm going to bring up the word consistency again. There's a lot of consistency in this book, even though we change artists, because we had Pacelli on the first, uh, what, like, five, six? I don't even know how long, but majority of the first year was by Sarah Pacelli, who did an amazing job. And you had um, David Mar- I think it's David, but it had Marquez on a, a variety of different issues, and he was really good as well. And now we got, I guess, uh, Pepe Larraz, with Justin Ponser on colors. Um... I really enjoyed the way that this issue was done. The artwork isn't always perfect on some of the characters, like Hawkeye and uh, the Falcon don't look quite look right. But I really, even though I don't follow the United We Stand storyline, I don't really know what's happening. I did like seeing Spider-Man take part in this massive battle between uh, the forces of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, I guess, the United States versus the, Sh- the forces of HYDRA. You have all these War Machine armors up there. You have Spider-Man... He felt like Peter Parker, but he's still Miles Morales. And having him team up with Spider-Woman, who is a female clone of Peter Parker, was kind of cool as well. I like seeing them team up together. I'm interested to see where we go for the next issue. I liked what's going on with Miles' family as well. Um, I'm interested that there's still no real uh, connection to what's been going on, what happened in the point one issue. That's kind of odd, because it's supposed to set up what's happening next, and we don't really get anything about that, but... Really, really good stuff. I love the cover for next issue by David Marquez. Uh, I really dig this book. I stopped reading Ultimate Spider-Man after Requiem. Uh, sorry, not Requiem. Yeah, the Requiem issues of Ultimatum. I did, didn't care. I didn't really want to ever read Ultimate book again. And then I was intrigued by uh, Miles Morales, and I kind of wanted to understand the character before reading Spider-Man. And I really, really dug it. And so like, I didn't... Re- I read The Death of Ultimate Spider-Man, so I know how he died. I didn't really care a lot for that kind of stuff, because, again, the Ultimate Universe is not really recognizable to me anymore, although I appreciate that they've at least tried to make it different, and they have gone and made it very different from the regular Marvel Universe. I just don't necessarily need to read it, but I really like this book. Um, So I'm in for the long haul on reading Miles Morales' adventures, especially as long as the artwork is so stellar, because it's been so good. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. I gave this an 8 out of 10. Uh, as we're winding down here, we got Uncanny X-Force, number 35. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I think this might be the last issue or the second last issue. Uh, sorry, it's Uncanny, X-Men, Uncanny X-Force 34. My apologies. Um, Rick Remender wrote it with artwork by Noto. Uh, good stuff. Um, sorry, Phil Noto. I didn't actually say his full name. Rick Remender does a pretty good job. This was one of the better issues of the storyline. It's a 10-issue storyline, which... Uh, he likes doing that here, and I... Like, the Dark Angel saga was good, but there was just so many, like, swerves, and, like, from one end to another, and that's kind of the way this felt. Uh, I did like seeing Wolverine and Dakin fighting. It looks like Dakin's dead, uh, which I didn't even know necessarily could happen. Um, you have a lot of things kind of going on with the whole team, and they kind of leave everything behind. I think there's still an issue left, but even if there wasn't, I think that's kind of okay. Although, I would like to see what happens next with um, the Genesis. Uh, some pretty cool stuff, though. 
Um, again, I don't even know if this is the last issue, and I didn't do my research to see if it for sure is, because it says, like, next to the end, question mark, but uh, it looks like Phantom X could survive and could be uh, could be brought back, so that's interesting, at least. Uh, pretty solid issue. The artwork did a pretty good job of, of, of uh, telling the story. I like that we get definitely got some closure on things. Seeing Dakin, if he is dead, that, that is a way to go. You know, father killing the son... Um, besides the son killing the father, I mean, it's still, like, it's one of the most dramatic ways to have a family member die, is have another family member kill them, and in this brutal battle, and, uh, having the idea that, you know, Wolverine wished he could give him a different life, and that's such a regret that he didn't, wasn't able to have his son grow up in a different way, and, and it, by the time he kind of was involved with Dak, in Dakin's life, it was, it was far too late to ever make anything happen, even though he did try and reach out, so it's, it's sad. Uh, in its own way. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, it was enjoyable. Next up is Wolverine and the X-Men number 21. I really did not like this. This issue, I, I appreciated that it was a callback to classic, classic X-Men, where a character like Arcade, etc., would you know take, out the X, take over the X-Men's minds and brainwash them, and then they'd be circus freaks, and how are they going to get out of this? But it's been done many times better than this. Um... This book is frustrating because it, it just it it'd be really good and then it's really bad and then really good and then really bad. Jason Aaron wrote it with uh, artwork by Nick Bradshaw. Um, I like the first little bit where you have uh, what's his name uh, Quentin Quire realizing that there's no faculty at the X Men at the uh, Wolverine sorry the school the Jean Grey School. Wow, I am not able to talk today. I apologize to all the listeners. Um, and then having all the characters kind of realizing that they're all kind of stuck in this weird funhouse thing, and then having Quentin Quire kind of seeing this and find out and trying to then free the X-Men, it just very much felt like something I've seen before. I didn't really need to see it again. You have this weird Frankenstein character I don't really care much for. I still don't care much for the new Hellfire Club either. Um, this just kind of felt like I... Bring on the next issue. Bring on a more concise uh, storyline that you want to tell because this is not doing for me and I'm ready for it to be over. Uh, 6.5 out of 10. And that's, I think, a little bit charitable. Next up is Wonder Woman number 14. Uh, this is actually pretty cool. Uh, Brian Azzarello wrote it with artwork by Tony Akins. Uh, it's got an interesting style. I like kind of seeing what the, the character who was the son of Zeus... Uh, him kind of being alive now and what's going to happen. I like seeing Wonder Woman fighting her, like, basically a sister, uh, seeing what that means. I just really enjoy this. And then at the end of the issue, you have, um, you're finding out more about Orion as well. I just dug this. This is, this is a fun, it's a quirky book. It's not a typical Wonder Woman book. If you want to read Wonder Woman as presented in Justice League, do not read Wonder Woman, uh, her own title, because that character does not feel like the same character as shown in Justice League. That being said, I'm fine with that, because I really like this portrayal. It's fun. It's, it's It feels almost pulpy. Uh, Azarello is definitely having a good time. He's not trying too hard. He's just having a, a good time with the character that he's writing, and that, there's a lot to enjoy there. Give it a 7 out of 10. And next up is X-Factor. This is our last book for the week, X-Factor 247. This felt like an issue that didn't necessarily need to happen. It was all right. Um, Jamie and Layla wake up, and they're married, and then uh, they get contacted by the police to kind of help them out on a case because the person who married them, uh, a Lincoln, 
uh, impersonator is now dead because he's been decapitated, so they're kind of looking into it. And then they, they get themselves involved in a, a weird, you know, resurrected version of Robert E. Lee. who's like a zombie version almost. It's it's very quirky. It's fun. It's, a, it's Peter David, so obviously that kind of typifies Peter David's writing right there. Uh, it's not going to change the way you look at the characters. It's just nice little kind of fun one-off with uh, Jamie and Layla. It's lighthearted. It's not all that serious. It's kind of, Again, it's quirky and odd. Uh, it's not trying to reinvent the wheel, and it doesn't. Uh, but I did like it. No, it, it's, it's, it was still enjoyable. It just I was hoping for something a little bit more this month from X Factor, just because we've had some really solid stuff, and this it was still good, but it wasn't it wasn't amazing. Uh, so that's by Peter David with our work by Leonard Kirk. Now the stuff I didn't get to, um, so I'll just kind of go through it quickly because there's actually a lot of books I didn't get to. I didn't get to Birds of Prey number fourteen. Really like the cover, so I hope to read it at some point. I just didn't have a chance to read it. Uh, Blue Beetle number 14, part of that's because I haven't really been following it, so I didn't feel as bad kind of letting it go and, and not having a chance to review it. Same goes with DC Universe Presents number 14. Uh, Fables 123, I'm going to mention just that it did come out, but I'm mainly a trade watcher on Fables, so that's why I don't really read them when they come out in singles. Legion of Superheroes number 14, I just don't really care a lot for the book, so I'm kind of taking a pass. Supergirl number 14, I really enjoy the last couple issues, but... I just flipped through the first few pages, and like I couldn't get through it. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe at some point in the future I'll read this. But uh, I had a limited amount of time, and it was just it was not on the high on the list of books I wanted to read. I felt the same way about Sword of Sorcery number two because I enjoyed the zero and one issues. Uh, but then again, a few pages in, I was just kind of like, I'm good. I'll come back later. Uh, I did not have a chance to even grab a copy of Captain Marvel number seven, so I'm excited to read it. But I just didn't get a chance. I like the idea that it's a team up between. Um, Carol and Monica, as far as I know. So I am interested in looking forward to reading that one. Uh, Dark Avengers number 183, I'm here and there on that book, so I didn't get a chance to read that either. Uh, Deadpool number 2, didn't care much for number 1, so I just kind of took a pass. Journey into Mystery 646, I started reading it, I got bored. Um, I really liked Kieran Gillen's run on the title when he was writing uh, Young Loki. I don't care much so far for the adventures of Sif. Maybe that'll change in the future. Hasn't happened yet. Ultimate Comics X-Men number 18.1. I haven't followed any X-Men books since uh, Ultimatum happened. I appreciate that it's a point one issue to help kind of me understand what's going on, I guess, or at least jump in for a story that uh, is new reader friendly. I just did not read it. Uh, and then Wolverine 316, I didn't read that either. So those are all the books that didn't make the cut this time around. Um, so that's everything that came out on November the 21st. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, if you want to send us any email, any feedback, let us know how you like the show, uh, anything that you'd like to see in upcoming shows. Obviously, we do our weekly review episode, but we also have special episodes that happen as well. So let us know what you're interested in seeing, and I'd like to try and make that happen. Um, so you can let us know at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, or you can also like us on Facebook, as Comic Shenanigans is now on Facebook as well. Uh, we have some good stuff coming up in the next couple weeks. Episode 30, that'll be going up November the 28th, is uh, we're looking at the Marvel, the all-new Marvel backlist chronology. Uh, me and special guest Nathan Strzok will go through the list, kind of just highlighting a lot of the trades that are all listed in this, in this catalog that you can get for, f- for free at your uh, local comic book shop. 
um, and just kind of things that we think are worth reading, what isn't worth reading, what we wish that we had read or wish that we'd bought, etc. Uh, then the following week, so I guess on December the 5th, we'll have an episode coming up that's uh, going to be, uh, I believe, the top five favorite forgotten char uh, characters. And the week after that, on uh, December the 12th, we're going to have a special bonus Heroclix episode for our Heroclix fans out there. Uh, usually we try to have one episode a month on talks about Heroclix, but we're actually going to have two. So we're going to have one coming out, uh, as I said, on the, um, on the 12th and then another on the 19th. And then after that, uh, we're leading into our, we'll have a review episode where we're kind of looking back at the 2012 and uh, what was good in comics and what we're looking forward to in 2013 as well. So, thanks again for joining us for Comic Shenanigans episode number 29, and we'll be sure to see you next time.